0: We're talking how to properly do projections playing Let's Make a Deal and Hot Dog Props on Roto-Viz Radio. I'm Dave Cabin, Senior Fantasy Analyst at RotoViz. This is RotoViz Radio brought to you by the FFPC. I'm joined as always by Matthew Friedman, the Editor-in-Chief of Fantasy Labs, part of the Action Network, and a man who describes himself as Penske material.
1: <laughs> uh, I definitely am not Penske material, uh, and that's okay. I'm fine with that. I've had to deal with it my entire life, and uh, I- I'm finally, I'm okay with it.
0: Really? Okay, so you don't think that you could spend a couple of days just filling a, uh, an accordion-style folder? Uh, no, even that is too much work for me. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, hey, you know, can't win them all, right? So, the 4th of July is, as we are recording this, uh, less than two days away, which means that, that within a... I am doing the math right now. I think it is going to be a what is that like 34 hour window? The Nathan's hot dog eating contest will be upon us, Matt. Now I know that you have not paid as as much attention to this in the past as I have, but would you care to enter into some friendly wagers with me? These will just be for pride for bragging rights on the show.
1: Uh, Sure. It's especially easy for me to do since I have no pride. So let's (laughs) do (laughs) it. Oh,
0: wow. All right. All right. All right. So just to put a little perspective here, The record at the contest for hot dogs consumed in a uh, very short segment of time. I believe it is 12 minutes, but I just want to make sure that I am saying that right. Nathan's hot dog eating contest rules. Matt, if you had to guess, well, before I had told you, and actually you've been reading pieces on this, so you, 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 you probably are familiar. So let, let's ask the obvious question. How many hot dogs do you think that you could consume? And I'll give you 15 minutes just to make it easy. So in a quarter of an hour, how many hot dogs do you think you could eat?
1: Uh, I don't know, maybe six. Six, I mean, like, I don't know if, like, if I'm really trying to put them away, maybe 10, but that just sounds horrible.
0: Oh, okay. So th- th- yeah, I-, I have to say that, like, I think what happens is you reach a certain wall where your body just starts to reject. And I think for me, it would probably be around six or seven. So the yeah. length of the contest has changed over the years, previously 12 minutes in some years, only three and a half minutes since 2008, it's been 10 minutes. That's the confusion. Okay. So in 10 minutes, A man named Joey Chestnut will consume upwards of 70 hot dogs. Now, this year, we could have a newcomer, Carmen Cotty, I believe is how you announce his name, as well as Matt Stoney, who has performed exceptionally well in the past as well. Uh, So it's going to be quite the uh, contest. I'm going to say that this year we're going to see three men eat their way into the 70, upwards of 70 dogs. You want the over or under that as well? You want to oppose me there?
1: Uh, yeah, I'm clearly going to oppose you uh, for a few reasons. One, just because I don't think it's it's uh, historically likely. So Stoney has never hit uh, – he's never hit 70. His winning uh, time was – not uh, or his winning number was 62 in 2015. That was the one year he won. But like all of the other years, Chestnut has won. Uh, and chestnut has hit 70 only twice, 70 in 2016, 72 in 2017. So I think, uh, chestnut has a chance to get it. I don't know if Stoney really has a chance to get it. He'd have to jump up from 62 to 70. And then I think it's also, uh, a fairly large assumption to assume that a guy who I don't think, uh, Sincati has ever competed before.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, um, yeah. Not in this, although he is number two right now in major league eating.
1: Yeah. But I just I think it's I, I don't know. I think the idea of a guy who's never competed in the hot dog competition before coming out and automatically hits hitting 70, uh, that would be pretty massive. So I w- I'll just take the under.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, that would be that. would I mean, I th- the odds are definitely definitely against me here, especially because in the Northeast right now, it is sweltering hot. So that oh, does not go well. I didn't even
1: think about that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So I mean, if if I were not trying to show up to this show, getting everybody geared up and excited for this contest, I don't know if I would take it, but I'm going to go with it. So then let's, let's do this one. So would you take that the winner? And I guess it seems like you're presuming that it will be Chestnut, which naturally is, is a good assumption to make. Do you think that he'll go over 72 and a half? Over 72 and a half. Yep. Uh, no, I'll take the under. All right, then I'm going to go with the over on this. So basically, I'm hoping that a lot of hot dogs get consumed. Um, okay. And you're
1: betting on an all-time performance.
0: I am. I am. I am. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I need- I'll take the other side. Yes, I need a gargantuan effort. What about the Women's Championship to make it even more fun? So we'll have two contests to focus on. The over is at 45 and a half. Are you taking the over or the under on that? Uh, okay.
1: I full disclosure. I have no idea about the, the females participating. I'll take the
0: under. Okay. All right. Then that puts me on the over. We're going to pick two more prop bets here. Uh, so let me look at good ones. Um, Ooh, 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 Ooh. This is one that I like. Okay. Um, Joey Chestnut in the first five minutes, the over under, or wait, that's Stony right there. Let me find the one for uh, Chestnut. At the five-minute mark, over-under for Joey Chestnut, 46 dogs. Uh,
1: yeah, I'm going under. It's under. Pretty hard. Because 46 is the most he's ever gotten in five minutes.
0: How do you even have that up already? Or is that just residing in your head from editing pieces?
1: Uh, we, so at action network, we, it's not as if I, I'm, uh, using my own research here at action network, we have a piece on this. Mm -hmm. Uh, and since that is one of the bets that you can make, uh, we've provided some analysis on that. So, uh, in the last, let's see here since 2012, uh, he's had 38, 41, 36, 36, 44 and 46. So he's hit 46 only once. So you have to assume in order to make that bet that he will do the best he's ever done in any five minute period. And like that is possible. But um, I mean, he he does like fluctuate. So like over the long term, he always improves. But year to year, there's fluctuation.
0: Okay. all right. So again, I'm on the over mats (laughs) on the under. Um, Let me find one more. Oh, wait, I, I got to go with my favorite competitive eater here, and that is Eric Badlands Booker. Let me see if I can pull up the uh, the stats on him here. I, I Just that we're con- consistent across the source we're using. Okay, the number that I saw for him earlier in the day, I have not placed my wagers yet, but you can bet your bottom dollar I will be, was 21 and a half dogs for Badlands Booker. You want to take the over and the under?
1: Uh, in five minutes? No, in,
0: in, total? In, the, in, the, in total. In total, in total.
1: Oh, okay. The drop-off is
0: extreme between Chestnut and these guys. It's insane.
1: I know nothing about this guy, but I okay. will take the over.
0: Oh, you're killing me. So I'm going to have to root against him. All right. He in 21,
1: and I'm not doing it just to be mean. Yeah. Uh, although I wish I, I wish that were the reason now because it's magnificent. But like <laughs> 21 just seems so low for someone who is competing in a like professional hot dog eating contest.
0: Right. Well, I, I think one of the things is, so Badlands Booker is... Uh, a little long around the waistband, if you will. He's a very large individual, and the thing that I've noticed in these competitions, especially with the hot dogs, where there's a lot of use of the body, and uh, you know, you're using your core to push the dogs down, you're dancing around to get them down. Uh, the the larger competitors struggle in this. You actually want to be somewhat in shape, uh, have that body in physically, you know, prime condition to take these on. So that that's his challenge there, I believe. Although my other favorite competitive eater too was Cookie Jarvis for a while, and I can't remember which one of them was the world matzo ball eating champion but i do believe that badlands at a point in time was the donut eating champion which i i think you know that you have to give him props for that too so
1: this is the most degenerate conversation that has ever <laughs> occurred on road of his radio
0: <laughs> well i'm glad that i got to be part of it you know there actually it was i wish i could remember the year but i parlayed a bet that involved joey chestnut eater x and um Shoot, I can't forget. I forget the guy's name, but he used to like his big thing was he showed up and he would drink Powerade to down the dogs instead of her. It might have been Kool-Aid, but it was a red liquid instead of the water like the rest of the contestants. I took the three of them and it paid off. It was so it was a great fourth. (sighs) Uh, I I'm glad that it worked out. <laughs> I appreciate that. All right. And I, I feel okay that we did this segment because I want to make sure people know about this. You know, we, we can cover more than fantasy football. We could start, I could do a whole podcast on this. We're not going to. And I was hoping that I would be able to come together with some 4th of July related games, uh, for this episode, but we had some things come up, uh, at the house, such as massive flooding in the basement. So I have not been too focused on, uh, the, the show outline. So here we are.
1: Yeah. By the way, just just to bring it a little more home, it's not massive flooding in the basement. It's massive flooding in the recording studio. Yes. So it's like it, it takes it to a whole other level.
0: Yes, it does. So to, to pull back the curtain here, I was hoping that this week we would unveil for the first time in Rotoviz Radio history, a video cast in a sweet video slash podcast studio that I've been putting together for a couple of months now. It has been finished for one week. And we had a bit of a sump pump malfunction, if you will, in my basement that swept through sta- inches of standing water in the recording studio.
1: It's almost as if the fantasy gods didn't want you to record <laughs> through video this
0: week. Yeah, I guess I, I guess they didn't. So um, it was a tough one, but we're we're trying to move on. Okay, so what I did want to talk about was um, projections. Now we've we've talked before about historical projections. Now, that is going through more of an objective process. You're relying on math. My answer for people when they ask why I'm so high on somebody is it's not me, it's the math. But there obviously is a lot of room in fantasy for doing projections in a more uh, subjective type of process. So, Matt, I don't know how much you delved into, like, do you do sets of projections every year? Are you really just doing rankings?
1: Yeah. So, uh, I, I do make projections and I, so I have to say like, uh, my process isn't as, um, meticulous as it used to be. So, yep. you know, in the like quote unquote olden days, we had the, the rotoviz projection machine. Uh, and I would spend hours in there, you know, like on a per team basis, looking at, uh, like the historical, right. like the different historical rates, for players, uh, for teams, for coaches, for offensive coordinators, and really try to, to kind of come up with like the, uh, the right, like weight of, uh, like which rates I should be using, uh, you know, like how run heavy versus pass heavy a team was going to be everything like that. Uh, and so I still do like a version of that, but, um, like I've realized that, uh, I don't know the, the meticulousness doesn't pay off in certain areas and it's just not like plus ev for me to be like quite so meticulous so like i get to a certain point where i feel like i have uh like a pretty solid projection that's within maybe like 10 percent of like like the error of like kind of mm-hmm. like where it should be and then from there I kind of tweak a little bit based on uh, things like similarity scores and then also just kind of like <laughs> what my gut is telling me, which is like the most unscientific way of doing this. But yeah, like I, I try to do kind of like a, a hybrid way of, uh, of like coming to the the projections uh, in part because I just realized that like I could, I could spend so much time down the rabbit hole of like the math and all of this and really not get any closer.
0: Yeah, I think you touched upon a lot of points there that I wanted to mention. And I do think this is one of those exercises that the more that you do it, the more uh, you focus just on kind of getting a sense of all of the variables that are going on and the things that could make uh, your projection right or the things that could make them wrong versus actually trying to nail it down. Now, the, the, the thing that is kind of a push and pull is in the industry, there's a lot of focus on projections. People want their projections from their different sites uh, that they read. Um, But for me, I'm with you in the fact that I think that the return that you get on trying to be super accurate really just isn't there because as I've talked about before, no matter how good your projections are, you're going to be off substantially on certain players. You're going to be closer on others, but there's so many variables that go into it. So, on Rotoviz this year, we've rolled out uh, the Excel projection machine. So we've kind of taken things off of um, that old projection machine that we used to use. We've migrated the migrated the process to Excel. It's very similar, uh, but I'm just going to kind of walk us through now how you would go about doing your projections in a proper fashion if you're somebody that hasn't done projections before but you're interested in building your own uh, which i do think it is a useful process it helps you to understand not only the inputs into your projection but you get a sense of the things that could actually shift a projection substantially for the better or for the worse for a player so as matt alluded to the first thing that you're going to want to do is realize that when you're doing projections you want to look at them uh, on a team by team basis, you don't want to be doing players um, in a vacuum. So you wouldn't want to go through and just do quarterbacks first because you don't want to have a situation where you project Drew Brees for 45 touchdowns, but his top three wide receivers only total to like eight touchdowns apiece. And, you know, they're at 4,000 yards combined when you have him going for something crazy like. You know, 7,000 yards, just hypotheticals. But the point is the math needs to all flow together nicely for you to have a well thought out set of projections. So you start by coming up with your allocation of A, how many plays the team is going to run, and then B, the mixture between rushes and passes. From there, you can then assign market shares to the rushing attempts and the passing attempts. So you'll be looking um, at, like if you're doing the Steelers, you might look at the target share that the wide receiver three has had for the past five seasons and see, um, given the player that it is in the current year, what you think that target share could be. And then you have plugs in there for the rushing attempts. You have a generic running back spot, like this year we're calling it running back three, where you would plug the balance um, that would get you to 100 and you do the same thing on the wide receiver side. So what you're doing is you're looking at the total plays the team is going to run. You're allocating those plays out and then you build in the efficiency. And I think that the efficiency is where you can really make errors because what I find when I do the projections, I'm always tempted to put the majority of players if I think they're good towards the 75th percentile for efficiency. But you know, it's the 75th percentile for a reason because only 25% of players are getting over that. And that's where I find personally, I would run into a lot of trouble. Um, so you go through that process and you've built your set of projections. But like Matt, I don't think it makes sense to worry so much about building the most accurate set of projections that you can find. As I've talked about before, I think it's more about building the range of outcomes. So what I think that you should be doing and what makes projections most useful is is you tweak those target chairs. You see what happens if the wide receiver two goes from 18 down to 15. You see what could happen if they regress or progress in efficiency. And you kind of play around with the knobs to build your range of outcomes um, more so than just trying to nail that one perfect projection. Because does it at the end of the day, does it really make a difference if you have that player on 265 and he comes in at 250 or he comes in at 270 versus you just knowing that he's going to come in somewhere in that range and he does so there's a lot of um ev as matt said that you can lose when you start getting um or uh i don't know if ev actually what's the term i'm looking for um well
1: expected value
0: yeah no not expe- expected value there's a different term i'm looking for I, I guess what I'm trying to find is like the the return. That's what I was looking for. The return on that extra effort that you could put yeah. in might not be there. But so again, you know, if you're doing projections and you want to do them correctly, you start at the team level allocating things out. You then um, build in efficiency. That's that's the last step. And you're making sure that everything sums across the team. And then the other thing that you got to be careful of, too, is I believe and I think a lot of people do that. You project your receivers with their efficiency, their reception percentages, their yards per reception or yards per target, however you're doing it. And you have that build up to the quarterback as opposed to doing it at the quarterback level and and funneling it out that way. Because to me, you're playing with more variables that are going to impact a larger group of players than kind of plugging the quarterback to what you think he should be at and then filtering it out that way.
1: Yeah, all of that's really interesting. And, and to hit on the the point you've made about efficiency, uh, I and, and like your um, your, your like self diagnosed bias to tend yep. to be like more bullish on players. Like I that I think that's something that's common. And so like I really right. try to fight against that. So like I try to look more at um, kind of like the historical averages of what players do, or like the career rates of what players do. Uh, and I, I I deviate from that only when I think there's like a really notable reason for doing that, like maybe a guy had uh, enhanced efficiency uh, last season because he's in a new offense or right. he has a new quarterback or you know like something like that. Like there's like you can point to a reason why. Uh, what happened last year or like what you want to project for the future is different than what has happened in the past uh, or like a segment of the past. So uh, yeah, I, I think it is pretty easy when you're making the projections to uh, to always look through things uh, through like the most optimistic perspective. And that's one thing that I always try to fight against knowing uh, when I'm projecting that like I either want to project someone high or low in their efficiency. And so I just always try to fight against that.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's true, right? You kind of go into doing these projections with a bias that you have about the player in the current year. And as I've talked about before, there's a lot of stats, particularly efficiency ones that don't carry from... Year to year, so in many cases, it is kind of a crapshoot as to if that person's going to go up in their efficiency or down. Um, I'm actually working on a piece right now on points per target. So for wide receivers, we kind of see a range where if players get into it, um, very few of them. It's kind of what I call the danger zone, which is above two point zero seven points per target. Very few players that hit into that are going to repeat in there. But there are certain players like Kenny Stills that manage to do it. um, A like a pretty decent percentage of the time. So he's actually done it three of the last five seasons, but you do need to ask yourself um, as you're going through and doing the projections, you know, is this the type of player that it makes sense that they could do this? And many times the answer is no. Now, having said that there were players historically like Jordy Nelson and Des Bryant that could maintain a very high touchdown rate, but you'd want to be really careful when setting that for other players. So that kind of brings back to the point of if you don't have any concrete evidence you can use to say a player is going to be efficient or not. That goes back to exploring what happens to that player's range of outcomes as you move them up or down. So I guess my final point would be, you're going to hear a lot when you're reading about fantasy about who the most accurate experts are and whose projections are the best. But I really don't think... That going for accurate projections is the best use of your time. For me, I would much rather be concerned about who has the best range of outcomes or how I go about building that best range of outcomes. So I can understand, as we talked about last week, this is a game of probability. You want to be able to play the probability and make it work in your favor, as opposed to trying to hit on that one isolated uh, set of projections that you might have and hope that the projections that you're going with um, are as accurate as they can be.
1: Yeah, I I do agree with that. I think there's a lot of uh, benefit to, and this is like one of the like almost like founding ideas of Rotiviz is like a like a do-it-yourself site. Mm-hmm. I think there is a lot of benefit to going down the rabbit hole yep. and experimenting with stuff, and then like backing up from there. Yeah. So, like, playing around with all of the numbers, seeing uh, like what matters and and really kind of like what doesn't matter when you are adjusting the inputs uh, and and then kind of backing up from there.
0: Yeah. So I actually got a um, question about the projection machine, which was in it, I had set everything to a one. So every target share, every rushing share was at one every metric was at 1 so like every player's yards per carry were at 1 everything was at 1 and the person was questioning like was there a problem in their file and my answer was no like i want you to have to go through and see every input that's going in and think about it critically because there's a couple of things that can happen if you're like using you know if you're not thinking about it you're a probably going to get married more or less to what you see in there as the default but b you're going to be thinking less about you know, the things that you're putting into your projection, their actual significance. Uh so we always at Rotoviz have kind of preached the do-it-yourself. And there definitely is a value in going through things things your own, right? Like you should want to be a self-sufficient fantasy player. Um, That's not to say that you don't read and digest and synthesize information from other places, but I do think that there is so much value in understanding these things yourselves. And I have to, I have to assume If you're reading Rotoviz and you're listening to Rotoviz, that's probably the approach you take. But if again, if you're a beginner player, these are the type of things I think can take you from being a beginner average kind of player to being a good fantasy player. Totally agree. So that's probably the good time to remind you that you can get a listeners only 30% discount to a RotoViz NFL pass through the NFL podcast homepage, rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. Your subscription gives you unlimited access to all of our premium NFL content, and you can support the pod by subscribing to and rating the RotoViz Radio channel on iTunes. Do that, and you'll be eligible to win a free $35 entry to a league at the FFPC. Go to iTunes, leave a review with your name in it, and then Listen to future episodes to hear if you're the winner. And if you're interested in being in an FFPC league with some of the RotoViz writers and podcasters, email us at RotoVizRadio at gmail.com and we'll get that set up. And this is my final reminder get in your bold predictions to 978 925 7628 and leave us a voicemail. We are going to randomly draw from the voicemails that we have a winner, and that winner we'll get to have the one of the free $35 entries into a league at the FFPC. So please call in. You don't want to miss that opportunity. 978-925-7628. Uh, leave your bold predictions for us and we're going to air that on an episode coming up shortly. So... I did have a sweet drop set up for us, but given the flood conditions, I had to deconstruct all of the equipment so I cannot play the drop, which is sad. I'm going to give you two options, Matt. You tell me which one you prefer. So, okay. the first one, you can either have Cameron Meredith and Aaron Jones or Theo Riddick and Alan Hearns.
1: Huh. Um,. I I feel dirty saying this uh, because I I like Cam Meredith, but I think I would go with Alan Hearns and Riddick uh, in part because uh, Hearns has the upside of being the number one receiver in Dallas, and I don't think Meredith does have that upside in New Orleans. Uh, On top of that, even though Aaron Jones does have the potential to win the starting job in Green Bay, uh, I think... I think it is possible that he could be in basically like a three headed committee for a big chunk of the season. Uh, And I mean, that's what Theo Riddick is likely to be in. uh, But he is in the pass catching role. Uh, So he does have the upside, especially in PPR leagues of that pretty steady usage on a, a per game basis. And if one of the guys in front of him gets injured, then he's slated for much more production. So I think I would go with Hearns and Riddick.
0: Yeah, that's the right answer. That's completely the right answer. Um, I was going to go with very similar logic to you. It really came down to that uh, though a jury could be out on who the better receiver is, Alan Hearns or Cam Meredith, I think they're roughly in the same range. And Alan Hearns is in a position where it feels very much that he is going to have to be a major, major part of his team's passing game. Now, Meredith doesn't I I, you know you really can't imagine a scenario where he is the focal point of the passing game he's around a lot of other talented players and then as you said Riddick and Jones could end up in very similar situations so in a draft I'm going to go with the player that I know has that defined role that I understand and then a guy like Hearns that has a pretty solid role and I do think there's some upside in that so I am with you there completely Russell Wilson and Kyle Rudolph, or Case Keenum and Zach Ertz. Uh,
1: again, I'm going to go with the the final uh, pairing there with Keenum and Ertz. And uh, so, for two reasons, one, I think Ertz is clearly superior to Rudolph, uh, and he's uh, I think advantageous in that he's at the like the he's the last guy in that tier of top three tight ends. Right. So, when possible, I'd like to draft. Uh, like the bottom guy in a tier because I feel as if I'm getting value. And Ertz does have the potential to be the number one tight end overall. And the the tier gap between Ertz and whoever you have slotted as the number four tight end, uh, whether that's Olsen or Graham, whoever it is, that is just such a huge gap. Uh, and obviously the gap between Wilson and Keenum is huge. But it, I'm not thinking of this as Wilson versus Keenum. I'm thinking of this as Wilson versus versus Keenum or whoever else you can add on waivers if Keenum doesn't work out. And that could be like a number of players. So uh, I think easily I'm going with Ertz and Keenum.
0: Wow. I don't know if you've left me with really much that I can say. Um, I would agree with you there. I think for me, what it really came down to was the decision between Ertz or Rudolph uh, and Rudolph, I think we could also see disappear much more than we're going to see the quarterback that is going to be opposing Wilson in this scenario disappear. So I did want to ask you about one thing that you mentioned there. You did mention value. Now, I think that we have to be careful with that because I do think that value is something that we focus on too heavily in fantasy football, whereas you always hear people talking about value. Now, I get it in a in a example like this where we're comparing I can understand it, but I do, and I want to get your take on this. I think that when you're drafting, and I'm with you very much on that, it's nice to be able to get the last guy in a tier. But when you're drafting, I believe that lots of times just because there's a value out there doesn't mean that it's a good decision for your team. I only take a guy if he's a value, if he fits into the mold of what I was looking for at that pick. Do you kind of deviate from that? And if you are in a draft mat and you see somebody around that's a good value, you go after him? Or do you think that it really is a secondary consideration first to the way that you're building your team?
1: yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I, I tend to grab value where I can find it. okay. And and, and so I, I do it in two ways. Uh, so one, uh, just in terms of like projections, if I think that just based on a guy's you know quote unquote, like inherent value, like how productive he's going to be, I think he's undervalued. Uh, and, and then especially if I don't think that I can get comparable production later in the draft, uh that's like the key for me if mm-hmm. i can't get comparable production later in the draft Uh, then I'm going to probably draft that guy. Uh, So that would be one way of looking at value. Then the other way would just be straight uh, average draft position and kind of like knowing that uh, my projections might be crap, but that the market values a guy at a certain position. And in this particular draft, uh, the market in which I am in currently is valuing a guy uh, incorrectly or slash like uh, not in line with the rest of the market. And I should try to capitalize at that moment. Uh, so that's the way in which I would look at value. And generally like if if a guy just falls in a draft and it works out where I can draft him, uh, I will draft him. Like, I think there has to be a very strong reason for me not to draft him. Uh, you know, I don't think it has to be like, I have to have a reason to draft him. I think I have to have a reason not to draft him.
0: Okay, I hear you. And I think that there's a lot of logic behind how you kind of defined it. And I think you hit upon a couple of points that I do like and I can get behind. Um, In particular, the idea of if you can replace that production from that player later on. So it's kind of like if he's bringing something to the table that you're not going to be able to get later on. I, however, yeah. though, in and, and my...
1: Sorry, just, just to yep. interrupt there. And, yep. and for me, that is the big thing with Ertz. Uh, I don't think that there is another player at his position after him who has a, a very real chance of providing what Ertz can provide.
0: Yeah, well said. Yeah, I think that's absolutely the difference between those two groups of players that we have here. Um, but to get back to where I was going with that, if I'm able to get my, my train of thought back there... Um, I can't, but you know what? I'm sure that at some point I'll, I'll remember and I will be able to make that point for us. So sure. my my bad, my bad. <laughs> yep. 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 Stealing the show, Matt, stealing the show. Um, but before we get to our next pairing, uh, I do want to take a couple minutes to, as always, tell you about our friends at the Fantasy Football Players Championship, the home of season-long, high-stakes fantasy football. The fantasy draft season is heating up in the FFPC. has a format to suit your interest and budget. Whether you like best ball or super flex or classic managed leagues, there are drafts daily with entry fees starting at just thirty five dollars. Jump into a slower live draft today if you like dynasty. The FFPC has almost two hundred active dynasty leagues with entry fees starting at just seventy seven dollars and. Going up to 2,500. And here's something incredible. Not a single dynasty league has folded in eight years. New dynasty leagues are forming right now with startup drafts launching on a regular basis. Don't miss the FFPC experience. Go to myffpc.com and register now. That's myffpc.com, the home of season-long high stakes fantasy football. While I read through that, I did my best to recall The point I was going to make and it still escapes me. So I think that we will move on to the next pairing. And this is the one that I find the most interesting. It's Antonio Brown and Ezekiel Elliott or Julio Jones and Todd Gurley.
1: Yeah, this one is, this one's very hard for me. Um, and I would say like, it's, it's kind of, I I don't know. I think it's kind of a toss up, but I think I'm going to go with, um, Man, I'm I'm still not sure about this. I I think I would go with – this is opposite of what I thought when I was preparing for the show. I think I would go with Brown and Ezekiel Elliott because I do think that uh, Ezekiel Elliott has the potential to finish as the number one running back. And, I mean, that's where you're drafting Gurley. I think Gurley has the potential to do that too. Uh, I think Brown has a much higher chance of finishing as the number one receiver in comparison to Jones.
0: Yeah, I mean, I would like to disagree with you here for the purpose of the show, but to me, um, I just couldn't go with Jones and Gurley. It comes down to, if I compare the players, as you said, I can see Antonio Brown finishing as the wide receiver one, and I don't see Jones. And in the majority of scenarios, not that there's a huge disparity between the two, I see Brown finishing better than Jones in many scenarios, whereas I think with Elliott and Gurley, it's more of a toss-up. And I think that Gurley had the type of season last year where there's going to be somewhat of a backpedal. And I think that Elliott, um, in that offense where he should be the focal point, I don't know how much I trust that receiving core and how much I trust Dak to be able to use it. And regardless of what they say about Tavon Austin's usage, Elliott is going to be handling such a substantial workload that I think it's a very real possibility he finishes as the running back one or puts up enough production that when you look at Brown and Elliott together, I think the odds of Jones and Gurley beating the two of them, um, it just, it just doesn't match for me. Uh, so I'd have to go with Brown and Elliott, not that it isn't close, but if we're looking for things that can separate players in a very good matchup like this, I think that, uh, you kind of have to lean towards Elliott and Brown because, there is a little bit of a disparity between Brown and Jones, in my opinion. Um, any thoughts there before we move on?
1: Yeah, I, I agree
0: with that. Okay. So Demarius Thomas and carry Johnson or Ronald Jones and Sterling Shepard.
1: Uh, it's interesting. And, and I just noticed, I, I don't think I would have noticed this yep. before, but I'm just looking at the, um, the spelling. So you went with the two guys who have like the, uh, the sort of like the weird, uh, Y's in their in their first names, um, which is just, I don't know. There's we there's <laughs> edit that out um so anyway but uh yeah so that has absolutely nothing to do with well, actual no it's, hashtag it's a tag football analysis yeah, well it's an,
0: it's an interesting um i guess delve into into my mind in the way that it functions i'd like to think that that's the, si- the sign of genius some on some yeah, level of course uh, but you didn't pick the green card yes uh, <laughs> meet the parents right yep right, yeah. oh great uh, reference okay you can, so, i have nipples could you milk me
1: I, I, I could if we had enough time. Um,
0: <laughs> oh, boy. I hope I hope I hope we never find that time.
1: <laughs> yeah, OK. That yeah, that makes yeah, it oh, yeah. everyone in the universe. Um, <laughs> all right. Let's see. So versus Ronald oh, uh, Jones or Sterling Shepard. Yeah, I think I would take uh, Jones and Shepard um, for a couple of reasons. Uh, I'm not like incredibly bullish on Sterling Shepard. Um, but Demarius Thomas, I know he's slated to have decent target share. That's just sort of like his thing. But, uh, he's, I don't know. He just seems so ancient to me that like I can imagine him having a season that is just like horrifying. Like, I don't know, 500 yards and three touchdowns. Like, I, I don't know. I could just see that being possible, even though like it doesn't seem as if it should be possible. Um, whereas I think like Sterling Shepard, I'm not a fan of Eli Manning, but I think that offense is going to be better. Uh, and having Odell Beckham back and then having uh, Evan Ingram as like a, a guy who is progressing in his second year, I think that will open up a lot for Sterling Shepard. Uh, and especially just like the way that they use him in the slot, like I think he could have pretty steady usage. Uh, so then it comes down to Ronald Jones versus on Johnson. And I like carry on Johnson more kind of like in the, like in a vacuum mm-hmm. as like a guy who is super young, was super productive in the sec. Um, but I don't think that this year is a great situation for him because he has to deal with Theo Riddick. He also has to do, uh, deal with like Blunt and like some people are, I think discounting blunt. Um, but I think that is the wrong move. Uh, like blunt has, um, he has history with Matt Patricia, the head coach, as a yep. guy who like on the defensive side of the ball, saw what it meant to have a guy like Blunt on the offense who could just like run the ball, uh, you know, like consistently in the fourth quarter and wear down opposing defenses. Uh, I think they want to use Blunt at the goal line. I think they, I think they want to use him, uh, and I think they want Johnson to be basically like a better version of what they wanted Amir Abdullah to be. Uh, so if that means that he's uh, not necessarily getting a lot of the work that uh, we know is going to go to theoretic and he's losing carries to blunt, especially goal line carries like what are we expecting out of carry on Johnson this year? Whereas like Ronald Jones, like I think he's probably going to be the guy in Tampa Bay. Like he's like he's going to lose carries. Like he's not a workhorse guy, uh, but I think he's going to get the bulk of the carries. I don't see on Johnson really getting the bulk of the carries.
0: Yeah, so I'm on the same side of the ledger there with you as well, going with Jones and Shepard. Now, for me, um, it's weird to take the Ronald Jones side of the equation just because when I was doing the work um on running backs to do the uh RSI that we had going at Rotoviz, I was more down on Jones than most people. Not that I didn't think that he was, you know, a prospect that could work out, just because there was other players in this class that I liked more. Uh, but having said that, there's a couple of issues for me. Johnson, as you said, there's other players there that can kind of force him out of a role, and even if he does win it, and he positions himself somewhere into that backfield, I think it's going to take more time for him to get up and get installed and become a week-to-week contributor, whereas Jones... Really should have the opportunity, I think, coming out of camp to get right into the mix and start contributing. And Demarius Thomas, there's concerns with as well. Now, I understand that the quarterback play has just been absolutely abhorrent uh, the last couple of seasons, but you do start to see a downward trend with him each season, going from 21 fantasy points to 16 to 15 to 13 last year. And it's not like Keenum, though he was decent, I don't think that it's this huge upgrade where if Thomas is at age 31 starting to decline, I don't think that Keenan can revive him. Um, Now, the only thing I can say in Thomas's favor is I know a lot of owners have um, been frustrated with him, but he has finished as a wide receiver three in 71% of weeks in the last three seasons, which is actually better than I was expecting. And in a fifth of games, he has been a wide receiver one and over 50% of the time he's been a wide receiver too. So even if we wanted to make the case though, that you would give the advantage to, um, Thomas over Shepard, it really comes down to though, the opportunity that you have with Jones, I think, um, is much better than what you have with Johnson. And though I, I don't really like the lookout the, or excuse me, the outlook for Shepard, um, I think this is one of those cases where I have to go with the player that has the potential to be the home run. And I think that's Jones, whereas I don't think Johnson or Thomas could be.
1: Yeah, I I think I agree with that. Um, I think long term Johnson might have more potential. Yeah. But this year, I think it's Jones. Also, one thing that is definitely in Jones's favor is that he has the best nickname with Rojo none of the other guys have good <laughs> nicknames
0: so oh they,
1: that's the, that's the tiebreaker uh,
0: the only i don't know the only thing i like there with darius Geis is uh you know because it kind of looks like juice you will be able to say oh, yeah. you got the juice now which uh for anybody that's seen what was that was that above the wasn't no which tupac movie was that was that a ab- that wasn't above the brim it was the other one. Ah, oh, why can't i think or was it just called juice um
1: i'm going to be honest and admit that my knowledge of 90s uh rap
0: movies uh is very (laughs) negligible to non-existent okay all right that's fair um so i'm gonna transition then here since we're talking about things from the 90s um if you don't know matt is a connoisseur i believe he says he has an encyclopedic knowledge of um 90s grunge is that accurate oh man this is gonna be bad uh i'm
1: i am not claiming that but uh some people have made that claim
0: okay no i'm not gonna quiz you i just want to ask uh you can you can run with this however you want you can answer either which is your favorite Uh, grunge album of all time or you give me your favorite song i feel like album is probably easier to go with than song
1: gosh that's that's tough uh i mean pearl jams 10 is uh, a classic, and okay. so I, I don't know. I, I, I do like that one, but I don't really listen to it as yep. much anymore. Um, but like for that to be like the first album that a band had, um, I don't know. Like it's just kind of it, it. So like on the one hand, I feel like this is like a um, I'm not gonna be able even to remember like a Malcolm Gladwell thing, but like like there are bands that uh i feel like shouldn't be as good as they are Mm -hmm. at the very beginning and then they they fade out later in their career and you wonder like why like why did that happen yeah i feel like that's kind of been a, a thing with pearl jam although they have been able to hang around but so like 10 was just so good um and their album after that after that versus was also so good but like 10 was just like an immediate masterpiece. Uh, I think like if you can consider grunge a masterpiece, but like it was just so good. Um, and so like, it was so easy to listen to, but, uh, like, you know, it just, uh, I don't know. It it kind of, it like the band I think went away a little bit after that. So it's
0: okay. Um, I, I have a lot of, a lot of thoughts to go alongside this. I do. I do enjoy grunge. Nirvana is my favorite uh, band of all time. I'm not sure if somebody's a true grunge enthusiast, how they feel about that. Um, but I will say I've just never liked Pearl Jam. I find Eddie Vedder to be one of the most, there's just a quality about him that I just cannot stomach. Um, he's right up there with Bono for me, uh, Bono, the fake philanthropist who I find one of the most annoying human beings, uh, on the planet. Um so like I know Pearl Jam is good and I know as far as grunge goes they're definitely you know one of the most recognizable bands but I just I just personally cannot do Pearl Jam but to your point where you're talking about the band's first album I do believe that very often the first album though it might not be the most polished for a band or an artist or you know if you go back and you look at the overall like album start to start to finish there might be others that have a certain quality that that first album doesn't but i think what you get is you get the purest form of that band you get those thoughts that they've been storing in those concepts that they've been storing for like 18 20 21 years and it comes out on the first album so i do think there's something like unique about a first album that's that special that you normally don't get reproduced um and certainly artists evolve but there's some something magical a lot of times about that first album
1: yeah uh so much stuff that was said there was so good. Um, so a couple of thoughts. One, yep. I think uh, one thing that – and, and I, I agree with the, the Vetter in that he is like the Bono of grunge. Yep. Um, there are things I like about him but things that kind of rub me the wrong way. Um, one side note yep. uh what's interesting to me in part about Allison chains is that dirt i think is like clearly better than facelift like their first album yeah and yeah. then and then some of their eps um like uh jar of flies i think that's also very strong so they're like one of the bands that like had some maturation in their songwriting process um and you don't see that out of some of the other bands uh Going back to Vetter as being someone who's annoying, like one of the things I like about Pearl Jam is more like the instrumentation. And like there are things I, yep. I do like about Vetter. Like I think some of the, the, the lyrics are good. Um, but uh probably actually my yeah, one of my favorite albums of the era is uh Temple of the Dog. Okay. Um, which is basically oh, well, like now it's like Pearl Jam, basically, but uh yeah. you know, like with Chris Cornell. Uh, so I, I mean, I like to think of it cause you do get like the sound guarding influence of Chris Cornell. Um, but you have basically like all of the musicians of Pearl Jam there. Uh, and like, I think like the power of that album is like palpable cause it was written and recorded so quickly. Uh, and I think in part, uh, kind of like circling back to the, uh, like bands with their first album and why yeah. it's so tight. Uh, I think that, uh, in part is why Pearl Jam was so tight because, uh, the guys were coming off of the mother love bone album, not mother love, but they were, they, they had like, yeah, actually they had recorded with mother love bone, that yeah. band folded. Uh, and then they went into temple of the dog and then they did Pearl jam. Like they were just kind of like already in the groove, like the songwriting groove, the recording groove, the playing groove. So like that album, although it's like a debut album, like it was coming like on the tail of a like tremendously productive time period for those guys
0: yeah um wow that was a, that's an like a lot of interesting things there and just hearing you read off or or list a lot of albums and different like people there it makes me i i know what i'm gonna be listening to tomorrow <laughs> well i well i do my work um but yeah, it's interesting so um in a former life, I very nearly quit school and went forward with music and that was possibly going to be what I was going to be doing. We're not going to go too far into that, but I can just to get back to that first album. Like when I think back, I know I got so much better as time progressed and like overall, like uh, the albums got more cohesive and everything I was doing technically was better, but you do start to sit there and you're like, I wish I could get back some of that youthfulness. Like um, I think as you like get older, there's, Maybe like a cynicism isn't the right word, but like there isn't this sense of wonder and you start to like reject... um, I don't know. I guess like you develop this dogma and you push a lot of thoughts aside whereas I feel like that first album and like these things you've been carrying with you, uh, there's like a perspective that you're not going to get back. But it makes me wonder too, like where in your life when you discover an artist, does that change your perception of those albums? So for me, there's an artist, Aesop Rock, who I enjoy like i love all of his newer stuff and i'm able to get back into the older but it's different for me the newer stuff because that i heard at a point in my life where it kind of matched up with what i was going through then but i do wonder if i started listening to that back um like when it originally came out and i was younger if i would connect with that more
1: yeah, that's interesting. So for me, and it's like something I I think I'm aware of with myself. Uh like I I probably have like some sort of like arrested development or something. It's <laughs> like all all of the music I listen to is like the stuff that I was into, you know, like in grade school and then high school. Right. Like uh for the most part, uh like stuff that came out after college, like I don't really have like a strong awareness of it. It's just not like
0: in my like cultural wheelhouse right yeah i'm definitely there well at this point i would say i don't have like any cultural uh like exposure at all really um as the kids would say i i am no longer hip
1: No, I'm not even close to it. And so, like at the Action Network, like we like we're starting to do content that has to do with like culture, and I'm just like useless. Like I I can't, I can't do it at all.
0: Yeah, ah, gosh, like it's well, the problem is too. Like I was basically like an old curmudgeon when I was maybe like 18. So it's like I'm really not going to be able to get into you know any of the pop culture stuff that's going on these days, mainly because I'm entirely anhedonic. But I think that we've digressed enough from the fantasy football uh, topics, perhaps. Yes, I, I believe so. And nice use of the word anhedonic. Oh, thank you. Do you think, uh, at the risk of being patronizing, do you think that we should define it? Because I, there is the possibility there's kids out there in high school listening that may not know what the word means. Thoughts on that?
1: Uh, I don't think there are any kids in high school listening to this at all. Really? You don't think so? <laughs> no, uh, I, I don't think so. Uh, wasn't, uh,
0: uh, how how much into like Woody Allen are you? Um. Interestingly enough, I've been wanting to get into Woody Allen because I've been exposed, or like I know a lot of people um, that are very into Woody Allen, but the, the challenge has been. My wife and I, like, I know that we would like the Woody Allen movies, but she has a certain stigma with Woody Allen that has prevented us from ever watching them. And so we were, like, uh, real early 20s. So, like, when we started going out, she was 21. So in the period of time where I feel like we would have started watching those, we've never broken in. So I know you like Annie Hall. And actually, when I had her read your article... That almost spurred us into watching it.
1: (laughs) So, uh, so what made me think of that is I, I believe that the original working title for Annie Hall was Anhedonia. Oh, wow. And and that's where like Annie Hall comes from.
0: Oh my God. All right. I got to watch it now. See, I did not know that. Yeah. Pretty, pretty sure about that.
1: Yeah. No, that's good. Yeah. So we should, uh, we should tell people what Anhedonia means.
0: Okay. Um, I guess in a like in a very simplistic format it's just kinda having like um a property within, within yourself where you're unable to enjoy anything basically.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That that's the perfect way of describing it. Yeah. The like the, the incapability to experience pleasure, something right. like that. Yeah, like you yeah. can't ha-
0: you can't have joy. No matter what it is, you cannot find joy in anything. Yeah. Um yeah, which I, I think of, I'm very sort good at of like doing.
1: People listening to this podcast.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh, how many listeners do you think we've we've lost in the last? You know, we started we started off strong when I first came on, and I think that we just devolved and devolved, and at this point, we might be the um, the abandonment percentage on this episode is going to be so high, incredibly high. <laughs> oh gosh, and I got to be careful because I'm going to lose listeners because uh, as, as I don't want to tell people you're cheating on me
1: uh what what is this i don't know what you're talking about i believe
0: that a new action network football podcast rolled out
1: uh yeah i see i think you're you're thinking of this incorrectly i'm cheating on them with you
0: (laughs) oh man it's a matter of perspective i guess yeah
1: all right you you are the mistress
0: oh no nobody wants to be the mistress all right that is how you know <laughs> so, we've talked about you milking my nipples, and we've now <laughs> we've talked about podcast cheating. I think it's time we wrap this up. That's going to do it for today's episode. Once again, I'm Dave Cabin. You can follow me on Twitter at Dave caben FF. My co host was Matthew Friedman, who you can follow at Matt F. The Oracle. Don't forget to call into 978 925 7628 and tell us your bold predictions. This has been RotoViz Radio. Please subscribe to the podcast, leave us a review, and be sure to tune in next week. And remember, it's not a fantasy, if you believe it. Thank you for listening to Rotoviz Radio. Please rate, review, and contact us via email at rotovizradio at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at Rotoviz Radio and support the pod by subscribing to Rotoviz at a 30% discount through the listener homepage rotoviz.com forward slash podcast.